Hello, everyone. Welcome to Therapy Secrets. This is your host, Jason Conover. <clears throat> I was thinking about uh, back to the beginning of uh, therapy for me and wanted to share some of the um, foundations. Um, aside from the theory and philosophy, which I learned, which is really critical, um, developing a theoretical approach that supports agency, morality, and responsibility. One of the things that is really exciting to learn, and I want to talk about tonight, is the power of thoughts. So early on, just really discovering in psychology and in therapy the value of thoughts. So if you stop and think about it for a minute, so much of what we feel, uh, what we become, what we move towards has to do with our thoughts. Our thoughts are truly significant and very powerful. Often, I think it's um, common that we may not even be aware of our thoughts. We may not be paying attention to the difference that they can make in our feelings, in our performance, in our um, success in our overall experience. So one of the things as we come into therapy is we can become more aware. So practicing that mindfulness. Now, sometimes people do learn that thoughts are extremely important. Um, there's wonderful resources and lots of people that have talked about this and um, discussed it in books like um, The Power of Positive Thinking, or um, if that's the right title, lots of lots of books about it um, and and discussions. But it isn't always easy to just change thoughts. So, but tonight I mainly just wanted to focus on this primary ingredient, and then we can get into some of the other elements. But becoming aware of our thoughts is a really important key, and so just noticing where we're, we're going with our thoughts and not um, necessarily judging them or, or uh, trying to change them, but at first just becoming aware. But also then we can notice how our thoughts do affect us. So sometimes thoughts, uh, often thoughts are moving very fast and they are sometimes like automatic um, thoughts uh, that just happen so fast and they can actually become very much even ritualized. So without even thinking about it, we can move from a certain event or situation, memory, emotion, uh, and we can jump into a series of thoughts and sometimes go on a wild ride where we really don't want to go or where it is not helpful or productive. So like I mentioned uh, earlier, on another episode, we really want to be aware of focusing on our desired outcome um, and keeping in mind that our thoughts are very much a significant player in, in that result. So um, some of the things we can watch out for clearly are just straight negative thoughts. Again, we don't need to judge them at first. We can just become more aware to start to notice and be a kind of a scientist aware of our thoughts. This is more of a mindful 
approach to um, being aware of our thinking. But over the years, definitely I've noticed that our thoughts can lead very quickly to feelings. And sometimes we don't even notice that we are thinking about anything. And so a gentle practice of working on thought awareness and then just gently kind of considering what might um, be a more desirable outcome. And some of the things um, you may find very helpful is also practicing some thought logging. So taking time, taking a pen and paper, and just gently catching and noticing some of some of your thoughts. Again, being a scientist and being aware that thoughts very often lead us in the directions that we're going. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but um, it's pretty interesting. Hello, everyone. Therapy Secrets. Good to have you tonight. Jason Conover, your host. <clears throat> a couple of... Uh, Actual therapeutic sessions stand out that I wanted to share tonight and bridge together hopefully some of the things we talked about. So last episode we were talking about the uh, the power of thoughts and how amazing they are. So um, today, red hot, uh, right off the press session, I was I was working with a client and. It was uh, really rewarding to get the feedback. What I had told her was um, to really catch, and I'll encourage all of you to really watch for I am blank statements. Be on the lookout for these um, because they're very uh, prone to self-programming and they are powerful thoughts. in neurolinguistics, it would be considered a neurolinguistic program. Uh, definitely, these are things that people try to take advantage of in affirmations for positive and can be helpful, but the mind tends to hold on to uh, what it believes. And so you want to be really careful. So, what I encourage um, this client to replace it with is I am noticing. So, for example, instead of I am anxious, stepping back and saying I am noticing that I am feeling anxious. So, a lot's happening in this little nugget. Number one, we're changing it from a, uh, an auto-suggestion or a neuro-linguistic program, a very fixed, permanent um, kind of state, the I am, to I am noticing which is taking advantage of the profound advantage of having just a little bit of distance, just a little bit of perspective, um, an observation of what's going on to separate it so that there is a, a, a space between thought and feeling and reality or facts. And with that, For this client, it really brought a sense of uh, possibility. It gave her uh, a little more um, wiggle room in that she wasn't just trapped in that um, state of of being whatever that, that thing was. So this is a really simple and very practical way piggybacking on the importance of thought. And um, I think that almost always 
we don't realize how much these kind of statements, power statements, thoughts uh, that we have and, and make frequently. And often, too, uncensored. I mean, think about it. We just say it very harsh. And um, this could become a ritual, could become so automatic we don't even think about it, and something that we do with great frequency um, over and over. So really practicing. Notice we're not trying to fight against the thought. We're not um, trying to white knuckle and, and grit our teeth and be like, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. It's not that flavor. It is I'm shifting from an I am to an I am noticing around particularly these kind of things. If you want to say I am happy, that is probably fine. You might also practice saying I am noticing a sensation of happiness, a feeling of happiness, and just play with those differences and see um, what it's uh, what it's like for you. So uh, the I am is something I've been really thinking about and kind of noticing lately. It turns out also as we get into the anatomy of peace that often we justify with I am's. Uh, and it might look like I am the sort of person who is no good at this. I'm the sort of person who can't ever do things right. I'm the sort of person who is really creative, um, which would seem like a good thing. But in a, in a justification form, it could lead to problems because if someone threatens or challenges that, then I become rigid and offended uh, and defensive. Which uh, which is a whole other chapter we'll talk about. Okay, um, so hopefully that makes sense. Just uh, catching and and shifting. Now, in a sense, I want to tie in also this amazing uh, concept. Uh, I was working hard also with another client earlier um, today on this. Um, so the the tendency to get very caught up in thoughts, very caught up in feelings. And um, I don't know if, if you guys have noticed, but there is a tendency to kind of emphasize thinking. Uh, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. We're very cognitive oriented, and I'm talking about it, you know, how important thoughts are. But we also can become extreme in our analysis, that we are constantly self-analyzing, and this can create really a similar phenomena to micromanaging, but with self, and paralysis of analysis, um, which is really the phenomena of just thinking so much that I really get stuck in that space and get paralyzed so that I'm um, just spinning around and around. So... Uh, in this situation, uh, the tendency is maybe towards anxiety and towards a lot of fretting, worry, and intense thinking, like very, very busy mind. And I can really relate to this, this notion that um, I'm trying to solve problems all in my head. And I refer to this as bobblehead phenomena, where we're kind of big heads and little teeny bodies. We're not really um, using the entire wisdom of our bodies, of our entire beings, of our organism. Um, John Kabat-Zinn talks about this as uh, fruit of meditation is actually 
being able to tune our instrument and sometimes in very stressful situations and how important this is that and the instrument he said is the mind the instrument is the body the instrument is our relationality with with other people and um this is so exciting to me to think about this tuning our instrument of relationality how i am in the world with others and and with our bodies being able to be in tune to know the right amount of food the right kind of foods the right amount of activity um, the the kind of exercises that make sense really practicing sort of what has been called intuitive eating uh, by many i would call mindful eating then transferred across the whole board um, and really encompassing a whole bunch of different beautiful uh, things that way so being the bobblehead i'm not necessarily in tune with or listening to the body i'm just really analyzing i'm i'm hyper thinking and i believe that a lot of times that may come from a sense that i need to fix something so I have a thought, an alarm goes off. Oh no, what if? Oh no, I had the thought. There's a sense of now it's real. This is actually something that could happen. This is something that actually is happening. I'm feeling it. Therefore, the alarm's going off. The alarm goes off. It means that it's real. I'm starting to get caught in this. And it can be very small too. I could just feel sad and I could immediately ask the question, why? Why am I sad? What's wrong? What can I, what, what's the reason? It's the sort of causal mindset. We want to understand the why so often and we can get really caught in it, trying to figure it out. Maybe as much as anything, trying to understand why it is. And then often also trying to fix it. Now, trying to fix it is a whole other can of worms. It can be complicated, like just trying to feel different or trying to avoid feelings, trying to do something to distract myself, trying to do something to feel better. I can become a slave to emotional state, a slave to feeling that I need to feel okay all the time. And if I don't, it's a problem and I need to do something to change and fix and alter that emotion so that it can feel just right, a kind of an intense perfectionism, emotional um, obsessiveness in sort, but it's, it's, I think, much more common than we realize. We're doing a lot of things not always healthy to try and keep those emotions balanced and, and regulated just so it can feel just right. And I want to encourage a kind of an advantage of what we would call distress tolerance practice, where I can learn to accept feelings. And the magic of that is really realizing it's a feeling. It's a thought. Just gently acknowledge that. Use my words. First of all, probably don't use words if we can. Just just observe the thought or the feeling. Oh, it's interesting. And then there's a really cool um, principle called wave theory. And I really like to say a wave at the feeling. So I want to basically kind of be from a metaphor standpoint, like in the side of the river. And I'm watching, as it were, the thought or the feeling, kind of watching it go by. Watching it go by means that I am observing 
things in the moment and recognizing there's a thought. Okay, what's next? A little bit like refresh, refresh. And I'm refreshing to whatever is present. And that's the way the flow works. If I get caught in a feeling or a thought and I just focus on that one thing, there can be a real sense of um, stagnation or, or plateauing. I'm, I'm actually camping right there on that thought and I can sustain it for really almost indefinitely it seems. Uh, most of the time it will eventually change just with the flow of life, thank goodness. But we can sometimes perseverate and get really stuck in it and work on trying to solve it for decades. Um, and this can be very frustrating, very challenging, and can make it feel extremely permanent and like there's nothing that can change it. When in actuality, if we didn't bite on the hook, if we didn't get caught in the the, the thought or the feeling was so urgent, so um, threatening, so um, disturbing, and, and, and try to to avoid it or or try to fix it, it may have just naturally kind of gone on a wave cycle. So this is a very elegant, I may have talked about this before, maybe the most elegant uh, treatments of just trusting that emotions are like waves. They'll come and they'll go. And I can observe it and I don't have to panic. I don't have to go into a an alarmist um, trying to remedy it or trying to cope with it or trying to avoid it or trying to distract from it. I can just have the great peace, comfort, and confidence of knowing that it came and knowing that it'll go and just keep coming back to the amazing present moment where I can observe thoughts as a new thought, a new moment, feelings as a new feeling, and not be uh, alarmed. I can actually be curious and be able to learn and discover and become more wise and more in tune through actually acknowledging feelings as feelings and being able to put them in perspective and take them as what they really can be. And that is great information, um, great things to help us be more aware and more uh, in tune overall. So hopefully uh, that's helpful and some good things to chew on. Thanks for joining us uh, tonight for Therapy Secrets. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Therapy Secrets. I'm your host, Jason Conover. So as we'll be talking about in this podcast, I hope to share a lot of things uh, that we use in therapy, a lot of wonderful um, techniques and tools, and also life-changing theory uh, that will hopefully really make a difference in your life. Um, I'm glad you're here. So tonight, uh, I'm going to talk about something that's part of a broader category, and that is writing. Uh, there is research that suggests it helps psychologically and physically if we write about both negative and positive um, events. So picking up a pen and putting some entries in a journal or diary or notebook is really um, quite helpful. And um, there's research uh, on working through trauma this way, uh, where you write out the, the difficult situation. Um, in detail, this is just for your eyes. Uh, you can destroy it after. And um, people tend to feel worse 
and then they feel better. So it actually creates the uh, natural wave of, of the emotion. And you need to probably work with a therapist uh, on that to make sure you're getting that support you need um, and the confidence and the encouragement when it does feel worse to actually make it through um, to the better. This writing is a wonderful thing. I, I think there's something to be said for actually holding the pen uh, or pencil and, and writing uh, actually on the paper. That movement uh, seems to be more sensory and uh, enable more of the um, processing that seems to be helpful. Uh, it also does something, I believe, to help move um, things from more of a, a sensory to, to more of a um, like a language um, learning type of thing. But tonight specifically, I wanted to talk about um, something we're highlighting in uh, my positive psychology class. And that is uh, a invention, best I know, by Martin Seligman, um, who is considered the father of positive psychology, which is the science of optimal human performance or functioning. So uh, positive psychology, as I've mentioned before, I think is very interesting to me because it's the study of happiness and optimal functioning rather than um, problems, pathology and, and disorders. So there's a lot of value in that and a lot of great things coming out of this area. And this exercise that he has um, created is called Three Good Things. It's very simple. And I love these kind of uh, exercises because they're so simple and I think we might miss it because of the simplicity and think, oh, that can't help me. And I want to just share the research and kind of the exercise and the importance of it tonight. So each night, right before you go to bed, ideally, almost the very last thing you do um, before your head hits the pillow, you write down three good things from the day. They could be small, they could be large, whatever it is. It could be a good pizza. It could be uh, making it to work safe on the snowy roads. It could be a nice um, uh, assist by a support staff um, at work. It could be a child um, saying they love you, um, on and on. We write down the three good things. And then there's a couple of different options. Dr. Sleekman says to then write down the cause. The reason for that is because he wants us to get a little more into it, not just write the good thing. This deepens it and enhances it, and it's an important part. So write down actually the cause, assign some, some uh, connection, put some, some depth in it. I have also experimented with and really like writing um, what it meant to me. So you can um, experiment with either one of those, the good thing and then what caused it, or what does it mean to me? So for example, if I um, got delicious pizza, I would write that and I would say it means a lot because I can taste and because I am very fortunate and blessed to be able to have this food, um, something like that. It could be different meanings. Uh, it could mean um, that I'm grateful that someone was willing to make this, uh, this pizza for me. And then I do that, I just write those three good things. And, uh, and, and the cause or the meaning or both. And then sleep 
and then repeat. And we do that for two weeks. At first, they were doing it for one week. And what Dr. Seligman found is that he usually only needed to prescribe it for one week to his patients because after one week, they liked it so much, they kept doing it on their own. And I have been doing this now with mostly uh, the model, at least the three good things, for I think over three years. I have over a thousand um, entries of the uh, three good things. I think I mentioned that once on this podcast. I hope I'm not repeating myself too much. But um, uh, I wanted to highlight, because I've reviewed the research again recently, that after two weeks of doing three good things, measured out six months, it looks like individuals in this study were still on Prozac. Two weeks of three good things, it looks like you're still on Prozac out six months. And it does fare slightly better than Prozac at that six month point. So it's actually amazing. Now, the research that they share about this, not my research, but they say that um, that the uh, SSRIs are good for severe depression, but no better than placebo or moderate or mild. Now, I know there's probably a lot of um, debate about that, but it's interesting. Three good things is good for severe, moderate, or mild, and it's excellent and, and equally great for people that are not depressed at all. It can actually help um, people become happier. Now, Dr. Sleekman explains the reason why, and that is because after a few days, you start to notice the good things more. We're attuning our mind because we know we're going to be doing the exercise. And it's not that there are more good things, we wouldn't say necessarily, but that our ability to notice them um, increases. And we get better and better. And what that does is that breaks up the depression. And that's why it works um, so good to help with depression is we begin to see um, all the good that was already there, but that we weren't uh, in tune with. So um, encourage you really to try this exercise. I love its uh, accessibility, its ease, its uh, economy. Um, it doesn't require a prescription and it's something that people can do right away. So hopefully you can spread the word and uh, share this podcast with um, anyone that you'd like that could, could benefit. And again, the purpose of this podcast is your happiness. Have an awesome night.